Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that we have brothers and sisters around us who we can meet together with to hear your voice. Lord, we thank you also that you give us your Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you that you have worked upon our hearts, given us hearts of flesh instead of hearts of stone. But Lord, we recognize that we're still students, we're still disciples, we're still learning. And so, Lord, we pray that as we consider these truths in Hebrews for us this morning, Lord, we pray that you would be making us uh, consider these truths again and making them fresh in our hearts and so that our love towards you would be kindled all the more. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, are you perfect? Would you consider yourself perfect? I think most people in this room, if you're at all honest, uh, would say that, no, we're imperfect people. Uh, We would go along with that line, to err is human. We would understand that we are not perfect creatures. But we also hunger for perfection. We also want to be better, generally speaking, as well. We don't want to create further imperfection in our life. Instead, we would like to be perfect. And how do you then get to be perfect? There's lots of ways that are proposed by different people around us as we've grown up in this world. Different people have different ideas as to how you can be perfect. And so this morning we're going to be looking at two different ways that people have proposed by which you can be perfect. Two different ways by which people seek perfection, by which they seek to be holy, to be right rather than wrong. And the first way that we've been considering as we've been looking at Hebrews together is the way of the Levitical priests in the Old Testament. Basically, in the Bible, you've got the Old Testament and you've got the New Testament. In the Old Testament, through Moses, an institution was set up, according to God's word, where priests had to sacrifice animals for sins to bring about cleansing so that people were no longer imperfect but perfect, no longer unholy, but holy in God's sight. But the thing that the New Testament continues to remind us of, and particularly Hebrews chapter 10, is that this way of attaining perfection never really worked. It never actually made people perfect. Offering animals again and again did not make people who had sinned against God perfect. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, firstly, from Hebrews chapter 10, and then we'll look at the right way by which perfection can be gained, by which holiness can be achieved. And so in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, we are told that the animal sacrifices never made anyone perfect. Look with me there now. I encourage you to open your Bibles this morning. You'll be greatly helped by doing that as we work through this passage together. Page 1190, Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 1 opens with this remarkable statement where it says, The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices, those animal sacrifices, are an annual reminder of sins, because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. 
You see what the author has done in these first four verses. He's basically swept away all those animal sacrifices that were commanded by the book of Leviticus as to how they were to be done in the Old Testament and said they did not actually make anyone perfect. They did not make anyone holy. And he uses a, different, a couple of different ways to bring this truth out. And for, firstly, he says at the end of verse 1, they did not uh, make perfect those uh, who drew near to worship. But then he also reminds us that they're simply a shadow in verse 1. Uh, they're not a true reality. They're repeated endlessly. Year after year, it says there in verse 1 that they continue to come and if you repeat something endlessly, uh, it demonstrates that it's not actually achieving anything. And there was an annual reminder of guilt remaining on the people as well in these uh, animal sacrifices. In verse 2 it says, If it could, if they could have made them perfect, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. We see by the fact that these people kept feeling the need to come and offer a sacrifice, that they realised that they weren't perfect, that guilt still remained on them. And each year as they had to come and offer that sacrifice of atonement on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, they realised... This is a reminder. We're not perfect people. Guilt still remains on us. And so these sacrifices are ineffectual for bringing about perfection. So what makes people perfect? What can make you holy? What can bring about perfection? Or who can make you holy? And that's where the passage tells us that it is by Jesus Christ that perfection can be attained, that holiness can be achieved. And we see that introduced to us in verse 5 of Hebrews chapter 10, where we get this quote from Psalm 40, which we opened the service with, but you may not have been understanding what exactly was being uh, the psalmist was getting at in that passage. But really, Hebrews 10 reminds us that this is actually a divine dialogue that Jesus is speaking in Psalm 40 to God himself. So the two people within Psalm is not a psalmist as in a human person, David. No, it is Jesus speaking to God. And what does Jesus say to God? Well, we see that in verse 5, where it's quoted from Psalm 40 for us. It says, Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said... Now, what did Jesus say to God? He said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. Jesus comes to God the Father and makes an agreement with him. Firstly, we see that Jesus says to the Father, I recognize that those sacrifices of animals are not sufficient to take away sins. In fact, you don't even like those sacrifices. Yes, you, re- you, you commanded that they be offered, but ultimately they did not please you. They did not satisfy you in your wrath against humans for their sin. And we see that in verse 5. It says, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, 
but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. So what is Jesus' solution? What is the Son of God's solution to God being displeased with those sacrifices? He says, here I am. Verse 7, then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will. Jesus says, those offerings were not sufficient. So what am I going to do? I'm going to do your will. I'm going to offer a sacrifice that is sufficient, that is going to make people holy, that is going to make people perfect. And what is that sacrifice? Well, it's his body. The body that God provided him with. It says in verse 5, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. Jesus gave his body so that people could finally be made holy, that a sacrifice would be made that would make people perfect. And verse 8 and 9 explain the meaning of these, these verses. As I've already said, he, he, the author of Hebrews explains it further for us. He says in verse 8, First he said, Sacrifice and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. Then he said, Here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. See what the author is doing? He's unpacking those verses and saying... Jesus said animal sacrifices did not please God. But instead, here am I, I've come to do your will, to do what you desire, and that is to offer my body that you have given me so that people would be made holy. And we see that in verse 10. He says, and by that will, we have been made holy. We've been made right with God. Holiness means to be something different, something other. And particularly, it's usually tied up with moral purity. We recognize we do wrong things. We call them sin. The Bible calls them sin. We do wrong things. But Christ makes us holy by cleansing us with the blood from his body so that we are right before God. So... The Bible tells us that there are two ways by which people have sought to be holy. One is by animal sacrifices. The other is by Jesus Christ. How do you know, though, that Jesus Christ's body is sufficient to make you holy? All those animals were offered and were seen to be imperfect in themselves in making people holy. How do we know that Christ has made the sacrifice that is sufficient for sin. Well, there's two ways that are given to us in verses 11 and following that show that Jesus' work is a completed work, that Jesus' work has indeed accomplished true holiness. How do we see this? Well, by the posture of the priests in comparison to Jesus. What does it say in verse 11? Verse 11 says, Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest, that's Jesus, 
had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool, because by one sacrifice he has made perfect those forever those who are being made holy. What is the posture of the Levitical priests? They stand. They stand and they offer sacrifice after sacrifice. What is the posture of Jesus now that he's made a sacrifice? He sits. Consider the workplace. Consider someone who stands for work. If they're standing, they show that they're at work. Think of maybe a checkout chick at the, at the shops. Standing, standing, standing. Or a door person at, uh, at Target or Kmart, someone who's there on the door to check your bag as you go in and out. If they're standing, they're obviously at work. If they're sitting, what does that demonstrate? Their work is over. Their work has been completed. And they're now at rest. Jesus sits. The priests stand. What does that say? The priest's work is not completed. The Levitical priest's work is not completed. They're still standing. They're still offering. Jesus is sitting. What does that say? Jesus' work is completed. Sacrifice for sin has been made. Atonement has really come. And where does Jesus sit? He sits, it tells us there, at God's right hand. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Where is Jesus sitting? He's sitting in the presence of the boss. Now go back to our illustration of someone who stands at the door at Target or as a checkout chick at the supermarket. They're sitting down. Maybe they're just loafing on the job. They're not supposed to be sitting. They're just sitting down when they shouldn't be. But if they're sitting in the presence of the boss... Maybe they're in the tea room and the boss is there. What does that say? It says they really have, aren't at work. Because if the boss knows that they're sitting when they're supposed to be standing, then he'd say, what are you doing? You get back out there and stand. That's your job. Where is Jesus sitting? At the boss's hand. At God's right hand. So is there any conceivable way that Jesus has not paid for sin by his sacrifice? No, there is no way. He, of course, has paid for sin because he sits and he sits at God's right hand. That's one way we know from this text that Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient. How is another way from this text that we know that Jesus Christ's sacrifice is sufficient for sin? Well, it's by the way his sacrifice is described in comparison to the sacrifice of the priests. The priests continue to offer the same sacrifice again and again and again. In verse 1 it says that the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason it can never, by the same sacrifices, repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. And then down in verse 11 it says, Day after day every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again he offers the same Sacrifices which can never take away sins. What do the priests do? They offer a sacrifice. Do they change their mind and offer a different one the next day? No, they offer the same one, same one, same one, same one, same one. What does Jesus do? 
He comes with a different sacrifice. He comes with one sacrifice. Interesting, it tells us twice there in the text that he offered one sacrifice. Verse 12 says, But when this priest, that's Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Levitical priests offer the same sacrifices again and again and again. Trying to make people perfect. They know they're still guilty. They don't think, oh, maybe this isn't working and we should get something different. They keep doing it. It's kind of like me when sometimes I've got a computer problem and you just keep on rebooting the computer and hoping that this time it's finally going to sort out the problem. You've got no new ideas as to what you can do. Just keep doing the same thing. Hopefully this time it's going to work. That's what the priests are doing. Same thing. Same thing. Same thing. Hopefully this time it's going to work. Guilt's going to be paid for. What does Jesus do? Different sacrifice, boys. We need to offer something else. And that is my body. He offered a different sacrifice and paid for sins. And the Bible teaches that Christ's sacrifice is sufficient. It's not as though Jesus has come up with a new idea. The author of Hebrews wants to make clear that what he is teaching fits with what they accept from the Old Testament. We've got to remember that the book of Hebrews is written to Jews who love their Old Testament. And if you look at the book of Hebrews, you read through it, and you don't know your Old Testament, you're going to get a bit confused because the author of Hebrews loves to quote the Old Testament because he loves to show that there's continuity between Old and New Testaments. And that's what he does for us in verse 15. Verse 15 says, The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Jeremiah 31 teaches us that God's making a new covenant. And we've looked at that in previous weeks as we've looked at the book of Hebrews. God's making a new covenant where he will put his laws in people's hearts and write them on their minds. But what about forgiveness of sins? Ah, that's there in the prophet as well. Verse 17, it says, Then he, that's Jeremiah, adds. What does Jeremiah add? Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And the author of Hebrews explains what that means to us in verse 18. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. The Old Testament fits with what? the author of Hebrews is teaching. Jeremiah said a new covenant was coming and that new covenant would mean that forgiveness of sins would be granted and no more sacrifice would be required. And this is a wonderful truth for us, particularly if we realise how imperfect we are and how our imperfection cuts us off from God. The good news of Jesus Christ is good news if we know the bad news of how filthy we are in God's eyes, which we are. We all are. We've all transgressed against the living God. 
and are cut off from him because of our sin. This is reminded to us again and again in the Bible, and one passage that is very clear on this is 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Turn with me there now. It's page 1,131. Page 1,131, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. 1,131, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9, where the Apostle Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. See that list there? It's kind of an infamous passage today because of what it says about homosexuality. But it doesn't just say about homosexuals there that they don't inherit the kingdom of God. What else does it say? Sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers. We all have sinned in that way in some regard. Sexual immorality, idols, making idols out of things that we worship when we shouldn't. Thieves, it says there in verse 10. How many of us have stolen things that don't belong to us? Even when we're young, we steal. Greedy? I think that comes across to everyone. Who has not been greedy in this room? Drunkards, slanderers, swindlers. None of them inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what we are. We are filthy in God's eyes. And the only way to be perfect, to be cleansed, is by Jesus Christ's sacrifice. And that is what the text goes on to say there in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. This wonderful news. And that is what some of you were but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. They were washed, they were sanctified, justified. How? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Not by animal sacrifices, but by Jesus Christ. And so we have to remember this, that the Old Testament way of offering sacrifices was futile in making people perfect. The way to be right, the way to be perfect is by Christ. An illustration for this, of what the priests were doing in comparison to Christ. Imagine a wall. Perfection is on the other side. You're trying to get through to perfection. The Levitical priests, they're like people who are standing there against the wall, up against the wall, and banging their head against the wall. Again and again and again and again. It hurts to do it. Bang, bang, bang. And that's what the animal sacrifices did. They hurt the people. Animals were like money to those people. They were valuable And then the labour of the priest to kill those animals again and again, endlessly, year after year, it hurt. That's what the priests are doing. They're standing against the brick wall, bang, bang, bang. 
and they don't think, let's try a different way. No, same thing again and again and again. Don't give up. Then Jesus comes. He comes with a new method. Let's consider it a bulldozer. He comes with a bulldozer and drives straight through that wall, leaves a great gaping hole, a new way through the wall that sin has created in dividing humans who are sinners from the perfect God. He demolishes a hole, he goes through to the other side, and then he sits down at the right hand of the owner of the other side of the wall, clearly demonstrating that he has the owner's approval in demolishing the wall and making an opening through it. In fact, we could even say that God provided him with the bulldozer to go through. What did it say there in that passage from Psalm 40? That a body he had given Jesus, a a body God prepared for Jesus. God provided the bulldozer by which Jesus made a hole through that wall. Now, what do the priests do in response to Christ's work? They see the hole through the wall. The temple curtain has been cut in two. What do they do? They go back to their part of the wall, bang, 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 bang with their head, offering the same thing that they've been doing all this time on another part of the wall while there's a great gaping hole there to go through into perfection. Christ's work in sanctifying sinners is one of the most important things you can consider in your life. That he has made a hole through the wall of sin that has cut you off from God. If you don't understand Christ's work and believe in it, then you are joining a whole line of other people standing there at the wall banging your head against it repeatedly. And it hurts. You're trying, maybe not with animal sacrifices, but with something else. Your own good works, which are hard to do. It's hard to be good. You're standing there, bang, 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 trying, trying, trying. And it's achieving nothing. While all the time there is a hole through the wall that Christ has made by his body and blood. Do you believe that Jesus Christ has paid for your sins, that he has perfected you? Here's a test case for you to know whether you do. Think of a sin that you committed this last week, something that troubled you, something you said, something you thought, something that you did to somebody else, and you felt guilty about it. It's right to feel guilty about sin. Maybe you can't think of something in the last week. Maybe your conscience isn't that sensitive. Maybe you have to go back another week. Maybe a month ago. Something really that you felt terribly guilty about. You wished you could go back and change. What did you do in response to that feeling of guilt? Did you say, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to be really good tomorrow. So that that feeling of guilt will go away. I'll be a better person tomorrow and I won't feel as guilty. Or did you go to Jesus Christ and ask for forgiveness? When you felt guilt, what did you do? 
I'll try harder. Or, Jesus Christ, please forgive me. Did you go to one who stands yourself and works hard? Or did you go to the one who sits and ask for forgiveness? If you stood and thought, I will work harder, then you're imperfect. Your work won't change. You might ease your guilt a little, but you will continue in imperfection. But if you went to Jesus Christ and asked for forgiveness, then he sanctifies you. He makes you holy. He continues to wash over you day after day by his blood so that you are holy in his eyes. If you claim to be a Christian and you go back to doing your own works to save you, it's like you're going back to the other side of the brick wall and going back to join all those people banging their heads against the brick wall. And that's ridiculous. And that's what the readers of Hebrews were considering doing. The book of Hebrews is written to people who are Christians but are thinking of going back to Judaism. And how many people today claim to be Christians but then consider going back once life gets too hard, being a Christian? They go back, they want to go back to what they were doing previously, pulling themselves up by their own bootstraps. It's ridiculous to go back to a way that never brings perfection. When you feel guilt for sin, go to the one who sits. Now this may seem very basic to some people in this room. If you've been a Christian for a long time, it may seem basic, but it's so easy to forget the ramifications of what Christ has done, that you are perfect, that you are a new creature, that you are holy in God's eyes. Because of Christ's sanctifying work alone. If you understand this, then everything else falls into place. If you understand the doctrines of sin, how depraved you are, and you understand the doctrine of Christ and his work at the cross, then everything falls into place. And even if you are a Christian, it is good to regularly remind yourself of these facts, to remember Christ's sanctifying work particularly this side of glory where you continue to sin. And so you continue need to go to God in repentance and say, I'm sorry for what I've done. Cleanse me, Jesus. In your sin, go to Christ. Go to Christ. Go to Christ. Go to the one who sits. Don't go to one who stands, yourself or somebody else. Go to the one who sits. Let's go to him now. Let's speak to our God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the agreement that you made with your son that he would offer his body so that perfection could be attained for your people. Lord, we thank you that his work is sufficient, that it has indeed created a way by which we can be saved, by which we can be perfect, by which we can live with you forever. Oh, Lord, we pray that we not endlessly offer a different sacrifice for our sins in futility, as so many people have down the centuries. But, Lord, we pray that we would go through the way that is Jesus Christ. And, Lord, we pray that we would share this with others so that they too can join us with you in glory. 
We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.